listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. That's right. It is summertime and the living is easy. Rootbound, the official plant podcast of summer. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Rootbound, the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And I am the host of the show, Steve. And usually on Rootbound, we invite a guest who joins us on the program to share with us all about a plant that is meaningful to them. And then I share with a guest about a plant that is meaningful to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. But if you haven't guessed it, today is one of those special episodes. It's a special season episode, and it is summer. And so it's a special summer episode. In these episodes, we talk about seasons and plants in general and often go down some other little tangents, um, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we normally have a little bit of a different uh, setting for the show as well, which you'll hear in a minute. But first, for those regular listeners of the program who listen in real time, who may have noticed that the shows have been coming out a little bit later than normal, well, I blame summer. You know, summer is a time where there's a lot going on and... Uh, it's been a little bit trickier to get the shows out on Wednesdays, but everything's good. I've got all the interviews lined up, uh, and so as we get towards the end of summer, I predict that the uh, posting time will uh, come back to normal. And if you're listening to this five years from now, this is not relevant, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so yes, anyway, let's get to our special summer episode, and you'll hear one of the reasons why it was a little bit tricky for me to edit the last episode is because when you spend many hours driving, it's hard to edit a podcast, and that's where we're going to teleport now. You've been picked for the road trip you will never forget. Survive the adventures planned for you, and you'll be rewarded handsomely. 
So empty your pockets and we'll take care of the rest. Throw out your rules. These are road rules. What else does summer like a road trip? And yes, this is the special summer episode of Rootbound and uh, Carla and I and our little kiddo are driving back from a wedding in the Catskills and we're driving through uh, the wonderful, beautiful landscape of the Catskills in New York uh, State. Um, hi, Carla. Hi, Steve. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the special summer episode. Yes, it is. It's, it's very special. Um, just the fact that we can say we're driving back from a wedding in the Catskills makes me feel like such a fancy person. Yeah, like totally. Just that statement alone. I'm like, whew. It's very amazing. like old school New York <laughs> sentence. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, what, do you have any thoughts about uh, summer and plants like we do on this uh, special, on these special season episodes of the show? Well, it was wonderful to just be in the green landscape of the Catskills uh, in this summer. Um, you know, as you know, the hottest days on have been recorded on the planet um, thus far. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in the future, hotter days will be recorded as the planet warms, unless we do something to change it. Um, but it was the, the temperature difference driving from, uh, you know, driving from further south, uh, like the D.C. area or even New York, uh, the temperature difference is incredible. It's at least 10 degrees Celsius cooler. Um, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but yeah, significantly cooler. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, I imagine that has to do with, with the mountains. Um, Sure. Higher elevation, but it probably also has something to do with the fact that um, the Catskills are a, are are an entirely protected forest. There's a, a place called the Catskills Park, which we are currently in. It's a really interesting park in that it also has several towns in it. Um, but but real forests uh, have a great ability to kind of regulate temperature, um, which is pretty interesting. I've I've been a couple times uh, in the jungle in South America and. It's amazing the difference of when you are like out in the heat in like, you know, agriculture areas and it's like so hot and muggy. And the minute you transition into like a real, <laughs> and she, she agrees, the, the minute you uh, transition into like a real forest, it immediately gets cooler. So that's, um, that's uh, maybe something that also has to do with how cool it is here is because there are a lot of trees and it is a real forest and a very protected forest. Our kiddo agrees. Yeah, she's got lots to say. Yeah, she has opinions about about forests. Indeed. I think she enjoys them. Indeed. <laughs> um, on the subject of the cat skills, I'm gonna try to tell this story here. I, I uh, this is one of those things where I've you know just did a little basic research, and now I'm driving, of course, so I can't look at notes. So I'm gonna try to relay to you now some interesting facts about the cat skills as it relates to plants. Um, it's a very interesting place. And it has a very interesting history, and it's a real history of, of, of nature, but also of human uh, interaction, and it's complicated, um, of course, and, you know, and originally the Catskills would, you know, uh, was, you know, is still the territory of indigenous peoples, and of course settlers came and, and displaced a lot of people, and that that's history, history is very sad and complicated. Um, but now, the Catskills, like I said, is this protected area, um, a very large protected area, and and how it became protected is is uh, more complicated than I thought. Actually, 
Um, so, so many people might know that the Catskills is home to four very large reservoirs. I think we're driving by one right now that provide uh, the majority of the water for New York City. And it's super important um, to have a clean water source for such a big city. And this very natural forest uh, near, near these reservoirs um, makes sure that the, <laughs> makes sure that the uh, water is protected. We're going to have, just audience, you're just going to uh, have to have commentary from our kid this whole time because I feel like she has lots to say about the Catskills. Um, she enjoyed herself very much. It was her first vacation. It was her first vacation. Because, you know, being a baby is, is such hard work. So Indeed. She it's needed a vacation. to have a vacation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's these four reservoirs and the forests around them are protected, which keeps the water source clean. They say this is the cleanest water in, in I don't know, definitely in the state, perhaps the state. I don't know. It's very clean water, and I can attest to that. It's very tasty, and you know, a lot of that has to do with the, the fact that you know there's no pollutants around here, there's no industrial activity. There's just miles and miles of protected forest surrounding these four reservoirs. Now, the history of the reservoirs is kind of complicated because you have a situation where uh, rivers were dammed to create the reservoirs, which ecologically is complicated, and I, and I didn't get too much into that. Also, his, historically complicated is several small towns were displaced in order to create the reservoirs. So there's some signs as you're along the road where where it says, you know, where towns used to be that they like, you know, move the people out in order to keep create the reservoirs. So that's really complicated. But that gets to the point is like, I mean, we heard this a couple times from people who are around here that the reason why this is all protected forest is because of the water source for New York City. Do you remember people saying that? I do. I recall saying uh, people saying that. Apparently, it is more complicated than that. In fact, the, the, the park was made a protected forest 30 years before the first reservoir was made. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. And it has to do with, the real story has to do with um, illegal logging ah. and uh, tax evasion. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and a, a, a clever deal uh, made by, I think, one of the municipalities around here. And I'm going to try to relay this in the audience. If I don't get all the facts right, I apologize. Like I said, I don't have my notes here. But this is the story as I understood it from reading, uh, reading online a bit. So... Uh, this area used to be a very popular logging area. That was the main business around here. And now there's no logging whatsoever because it's all protected. But, you know, in the 1800s, that was the business here. And there was lots of logging and there was... Um, uh, what species did they log? Um, a bunch. The one that I actually found really interesting is one of the things they were logging a lot was um, the native hemlock. But oh. it was to strip the bark to extract the tannins for tanning leather. That was apparently oh, a big okay. industry was to like use that species, which I had not heard of. But um, I, I, there's there's a number there's a lot of species around here, uh, so I think it was a number. It's a pretty good mixed forest right here. But yeah, that hemlock for tanning, uh, you know, tannins for tanning chemicals was something that was pretty interesting. Was the bark? It was only the bark, and they didn't use the rest of the I think, wood. Or? I, I assume they also used the okay. wood as well. But the the high value thing was the chemicals in the bark for the for tanning, which you know we don't. We use like industrial chemical processes now and in some ways you know a natural process like that you know is probably better than the environment but you probably need a lot of trees in order to do the kind of tanning that sure. we do now so anyway pretty interesting stuff um either way it's pretty unsustainable true true yeah so like you know small scale uh, tanning you know uh, anyway i thought that was interesting it was a pretty big industry here also the timber just general timber industry was was really big here and um the way that it worked, from my understanding, is that, you know, um, the state collected taxes from the municipalities, or the county maybe, uh, 
based off the logging activity. So uh, the amount of logging that happened, the state would charge the county taxes on that logging. And in turn, the county would charge the loggers for the taxes, the taxes to pay the state. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, apparently what happened is some loggers come in, log a bunch of stuff, and then skip town and never pay the taxes to the county. So the county had this really big tax bill to the state. And uh, around the same time, the uh, state was considering making the Adirondacks a protected area, specifically for that to try to keep the, um, uh, what is that, the canal up there with the Great Lakes? Um, you know what I'm talking about, audience. Anyway, they were trying, they wanted to protect that area to keep that, that like, um, commercial shipping channel from being silted up. And so making sure that the forest stayed, you know, protected would prevent runoff and, and, you know, blocking off this, like, shipping channel. So they were they were considering making the Adirondacks a protected area, but until then, people didn't, you know, think the Catskills were as important uh, biologically as the, the Adirondacks, and so that wasn't even considered. But apparently some clever politician basically lobbied the state to include the Catskills in this protection, and part of the deal was to forgive the, the tax liability... And also, in turn, the state apparently pays the area as if they were producing logging income. So it's kind of like it's a back, it's a, it's a, it's it's in reverse now because it's protected and there's no logging. The state pays the county for those like biological surfaces instead of the money they get from cutting down the trees. They're getting money from keeping the trees protected, which is a pretty interesting mechanism. And I think that still goes goes on to this day. And I think that's the reason why a lot of these little towns can still exist. Is because they have a decent base of funds because they live in a protected forest and the state pays for that service. And in return, the state, you know, has protected area and New York City, the biggest income driver of the state, gets all the clean water they need. So a very interesting, uh, complicated history, uh, but, but just shows, you know, when people value a forest, how it can be protected. And I think there is a pretty good balance here, at least from what I can see. I'm sure people have their complaints. Um, but it is a pretty interesting and, um, and, and like, nice story of conservation in the Catskills. Yeah, that, that is pretty interesting. Uh, clever maneuvering um, in order to not pay that, that tax bill. That's totally, totally. Interesting. So, oh, and then the other thing was is that, oh, this is super interesting, too. At some point, you know, the loggers were always trying to, like, dismantle this deal because they, um, they of course, wanted to get to the trees. And so at some point... Um, the county was successful in lobbying the state to actually put it in the Constitution. So the Catskills are constitutionally protected by the state of New York, and the only way to ever start logging in this area again... We've got to turn left. The only way to ever log in the Catskills ever again would require a constitutional amendment. Wow, okay. Of, of the state constitution. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. The, the, yeah, there's a, I read the line... You know the, the couple paragraphs in the Constitution turning specifically. All right, turning left on on uh, Bridge Street. Here we go. We're in a little town called Margaretville, which is super cute. It um, is super cute. I wish we had a little time to stay here, but we got quite the drive left. So. All right, going to State Route 28. Well, that just means we have to come back. Indeed, indeed. With our with our kiddo. Indeed. Now you were mentioning something about like how you were observing the. Turn right to State Route 28. The, the, all right, we're we're we're. Uh, we're not going to be hearing any uh, uh, navigation voice here for in a second because once we get on State Route 28, we will uh, be uh, we'll be back in business. 
You said you were mentioning something about the, the plant life here as we were driving up. Yeah, well, so it struck me. You know how we used to live in Pennsylvania uh-huh. uh, some years ago? Um, and I, I think I just got used to that particular um, plant life, like the way it looked, the trees, the plants, um, the the like kind of hilly, hilly vibe of the whole state. Um, and then we don't have that anymore in the DC area. It's got a, a different. It's got a different kind of um, plant life, uh, topography, geography, all of that. Um, and so driving here from DC through Pennsylvania, just remind, uh, just kind of, I was like thinking, wow, this is such beautiful plant life, such beautiful geography. Um, and it just made me realize how much I, um, I appreciated that plant life and geography of, of the Pennsylvania area. Um, it was just, um, just the trees look so different. The plants look so different from what we have back home in DC, but, um, you know, equally beautiful, just different. Yeah, it's also very different here in the Catskills too. It changed pretty rapidly, I feel like. Yeah, like, you're, you're right. And there is an interesting phenomenon, I feel like, when you are, uh, when you when you get used to like looking at landscapes and trees and native, you know, plant life, you start to be able to see that it's different, even though you can't really like say, okay, what is making it different? It has kind of an overall different look. Maybe it's a slightly different color of green averaged versus where we're from yeah um but it does you know just overall seem very different uh than when you know you know back at home um and it, it reminded me of the whole botany comes with age uh-huh. um <laughs> saying uh from max a few episodes ago um that i think i'm more aware of the plant life now um than i was when we lived in Pennsylvania. So I think I can even uh, um, identify some species that we drive past on our way. Um, totally, like there's some sumac. Yeah, exactly. Which we just talked about <laughs> in the last episode of the show. Or um, I, I, I find it interesting that I'm, I'm pretty getting pretty good at recognizing um, chicory. Oh yeah. Um, just on the side of the road, I'm like, oh look, there's some chicory, there's some beautiful chicory flowers, that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, we're driving past them right now. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Um, yeah, and then the other thing that it reminded me of is from a few episodes ago when uh, you discussed the concept, or your guest discussed the concept of um, how we don't, like, plants are the background. Oh, yeah, plant awareness disparity. Exactly, plant yes. awareness disparity. And so um, I feel like on the way, on, on our road trip up and on our, our road trip back home, um, I feel like the plant life for me has been the protagonist, just seeing the changes in the landscape because of the plant life. That has been really cool. Yeah, you see it's it's the story of all the plants kind of evolving as we go and very interesting. Yeah. Also, uh, when we were, when we stayed at our little Airbnb in, in, in uh, the Catskills, uh, when we would walk to the local coffee shop um, in the mornings to get our coffee, we would walk past some beautiful maples, and they were gigantic. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, it just made me curious to, you know, what what is their story like? How much have they seen? You know, yeah, like I, the protagonist oh, in a story. I saw in the park there was um, 
there was a really big catalpas, which I mentioned oh, a few yeah. episodes ago. And I think it was a northern catalpas, which I don't think I've seen before, versus what we have in our neighborhood, which is a southern catalpas. But they're an interesting tree because they grow pretty fast. And I, it's, I think they also are relatively short-lived. So seeing one that big was pretty interesting. It was quite the hefty tree. Yeah, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've, we've uh, talked a lot about the Catskills and not as much about summer. So here's one summery plant thing that, I, that, I, that I've noticed this particular summer. Um, it, is, it has been very, very hot this summer. Oh, yeah. As Carla mentioned, it, it's been the hottest summer on, on record, uh, uh, I guess, since recorded history and even unrecorded history, perhaps. Um, but the, the interesting thing about that for plants is it's kind of like a it's kind of like a blessing and a curse when it's so hot because you know when it's so hot there's a lot of sun there's lots of energy coming from the sun and plants can turn that into you know you know using photosynthesis can convert that into energy and use it um, but also when there's so hot there's not as much water and so the plants need water to grow and so you do have this situation where you know in in, in our house for a while earlier in the summer it was just so brown everything was just dying back because there was not enough rain but then on the other side when it rained and it rained a lot all of a sudden the plants just exploded with growth it was really incredible to see I swear I like blinked and the like grass in my yard was like two feet tall <laughs> it was like so quick before I could even catch up with it yeah and and I feel like that that has been the case here um on on the road because it's been so hot but also some summer storms have rolled through um, you can definitely see the explosion of growth and life um, in the plants that we've seen along the way. Um, it's just so much green and so so much abundance um, of green. It, it's just it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, car. Um, well, I think I think we'll take a little pause right now and uh, continue driving. We've got a little bit of a, a, a drive along the way, but we'll uh, we'll check back in a little bit later. Okay. Most of the time, he was just an ordinary dad with ordinary dad powers. But for two weeks every summer, during our annual trip, he was something special. He was the king, the king of the road. He had earned his crown over the years by being the best on the road in the three major dad driving categories. One, never asking for directions, no matter what. Two, roof stack packing, and three, the true measure of dad greatness, making good time on the road. And we're back on the road here, actually just winding up our road trip. Uh, we've gone through New York, we've gone through Pennsylvania, we're now in Maryland, just about approach, approaching Baltimore, and I have two little summer things to share with you, Carla, before we end this episode. Sure. So one, I just kind of like experienced right now we just were charging the car in a Walmart parking lot, uh, which is what you do in the modern world, yep. apparently. Mm-hmm. And um, I've realized, well, we, we just got a text message from a friend in Wayshow while we were driving, uh, telling us about the horrible situation she has in, in her place in Brooklyn with uh, the spotted lanternflies. Yeah. And those, I think, are becoming a staple of the summer now in this part of the country which is a bit of a bummer yeah um because they're pretty invasive they apparently you know do lots of damage to all sorts of different plants um but in the last episode i was talking with shane about the the tree of heaven um i learned in my research of tree of heaven that the tree of heaven 
uh, basically is host to the spotted lanternfly. Oh, and really? where you have Tree of Heaven, you are likely to have spotted lanternfly, which is one of the reasons why I feel like I didn't see any up in the Catskills because I also mentioned that episode that Tree of Heaven has trouble growing in natural forests because it, it has trouble competing for light. Ah. And there's also lots of other, there's lots of sumac there. I saw lots of sumac, which kind of fills the same niche as Tree of Heaven. Um, but here, we were at this parking lot. I looked up and I saw a Tree of Heaven, and I just got this message from Anwesha, and I was like, yeah. I wonder if I go over to that Tree of Heaven if I'm going to see some spotted lanternflies. And sure enough, they were covering that tree and all the stuff around it. So I, I had not seen a, a, a spotted lanternfly in person until just, just now. Yeah, I, I haven't seen one in person still. I think you saw it with our kiddo when you were out stretching your legs. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I still haven't seen one in person. I've only seen pictures, thankfully. Um, <laughs> they do look pretty. I mean, they look pretty, but also kind of gnarly, like you know? ominous looking. Yeah, ominous. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and speaking of the kiddo, that's uh, some fun sounds that she's making. Yeah, she's blowing raspberries. Yeah. I mean, that's a plant, right? Raspberries. Raspberry, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's... <laughs> she has opinions about raspberries. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, that's an interesting fact about the spotted lantern pie. Um, yeah, there probably needs to be, like... I, and I think in some places... It, I actually haven't heard about it in the U.S. yet. Some places in Europe, they have a really hardcore Tree of Heaven eradication program, and we've probably got to get on top of that because from my understanding, they require Tree of Heaven as part of their life cycle. There are certain nutrients that they get only from Tree of Heaven. They also get nutrients from other plants too, but I think if we like focused on getting rid of Tree of Heaven, that might be an easier way, even though Tree of Heaven is pretty hard to get rid of, honestly, but still, we might need to get pretty hardcore about that if we want to control these uh, spotted lanternflies. Yeah. So speaking of um, summer, unfor like bugs that come with summer <laughs> that are unfortunate, um, I know that last year I spoke at length about mosquito or spoke at length is, is a kind, um, you know. Yes. Ranted at length. Yes. Perhaps. Ranted at length. Uh, complained at length about mosquitoes. Uh, so I feel like that has been covered, even though I just we literally stepped outside in the in the Walmart parking lot and I just in the, the the two minutes that we were out there I think I got bit like at least five times oh, man. Um, yeah no it's it's unfortunate but um, the, no the 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 bug that I would like to complain about this time around that is also unfortunately a uh, a summer staple um, is the tick oh yeah um, and the reason I thought of it is because when we were at that little lovely park in the Catskills, um, having a barbecue with friends, it was uh, there. There were signs on the trees saying, uh, you know, that there there are ticks found in that area and that they carry um, all of the diseases that are awful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's that's my uh, my summer staple bug is uh, this this time around is uh, is the tick. Um, and I'm absolutely horrified. Um, they, I mean, you know, they, they in themselves don't bother me so much, but the fact that they carry so many diseases freaks me out. Um, especially, you know, like, oh, you know, there's Lyme disease, but then there's also this mysterious um, allergy that you get to red meat uh, oh, yeah. with certain other ticks because it causes, you know, whatever enzymatic um, 
response in you and so you then permanently it's it seems permanently become allergic to red meat um so that's kind of freaky um and so one of the things that i was reading about ticks is um, grass length um it seems that it is more common to have ticks if you let your grass grow uh, more than a couple of weeks so let that be a warning to us to not let yeah. our garden get too unwieldy. Yeah, that's um, true. I, I was yeah. uh, I was watching some videos about ticks. Actually, before I get back to grass, yes, one horrifying non-plant related thing. Oh no, uh, related to ticks <laughs> that I read oh, years no. ago uh-huh. and it stuck in my head. And it is related to summer, but not directly related to plants. But it was an article, and I believe the title of the article was um, "Climate Change Enters Its Blood Sucking Phase." Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's the, and that's actually another reason why ticks are top of mind is because with climate change and the growing warmth um, of of summer and is like that they're more prevalent and they're spreading uh, yeah. a lot and of places. Yeah, they don't die off as much in the winter because the winters right. aren't cold enough to kill them off. Exactly. And so there were some cases that in this article talked about in Maine where there was like these like moose calves that were basically dying of lack of blood because they were so covered in ticks. That makes me so sad. I know, sad. it was really sad. That's awful. Um, but yeah, it was, it just got to a, like a, a level that was like never seen before. Yeah. But back to ticks and plants, you know, we don't, we're not always connecting ticks to plants because they're, you know, blood-sucking insects, not, uh, not plants. But they do rely on grass and, you know, it's, a tick is an interesting bug because they need to eat blood uh, like a mosquito, right? They need that. But unlike a mosquito, they don't really have an ability to hunt. They don't. They can't see. First of all, they're not very fast. Um, they can't fly, right? Thank so, goodness for that. So they have a uh, um, a behavior that is called questing, which sounds cooler than it is. And essentially, they crawl around until they get to the top of a blade of grass. Yeah. And then they just kind of waggle their arms around. And there's some really creepy videos on the internet of them at the top of blades of grass waggling their arms until something brushes them and their arms have kind of like a velcro-y property where they'll just like stick onto anything that goes by and now they've hitched a ride with whoever they're with and uh, they can proceed to find their blood meal so that's Um, how ticks are related to a plant in the summer yeah well i I think that it's probably good that the audience can't see my face of absolute (laughs) horror and disgust um but yeah uh, no, that's true. That, that's that's one of the things. It's like gra- like grasses and and uh, you know shrubs and and things like that. They're they're on they're on so many things too. They're questing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. The worst kind of questing ever. It's not yeah. like in Zelda. Oh yeah, or yeah. like World of Warcraft, yeah, totally. which it's we much, both used to play. Much grosser questing. So um, gross. Yeah. Okay. One final, but just bringing it back to plants here at yes. the end of the show and summer. I was I was reading some stuff while we were you know at a little rest break there, of, of some maybe another fun fact and or dazzling detail about uh, plants in the summer. Yeah. And I learned about this process, um, and I, I'm a little bit hazy on this audience, so just bear with me and Google it more. It, it is there's two words here, and I think I understand the difference. They're slightly different. Uh, one is called uh, thermopriming, and the other one's called Ooh. thermomimory, and they are related. But thermopriming is a concept where if a plant is exposed to a heat stress, particularly early in the season, it will be better at dealing with a stronger heat stress later. 
because it has primed itself and the, the plant actually responds to the heat stress uh -huh. and it can remember how to deal with that heat stress and most of what I was reading was about um, was about like annual crops and how like if they're exposed to stronger heat earlier in the season they can deal with with um, they can deal with worse heat later on um, but so I, it's responsive yeah and and the memory is there but I think the thermal memory can actually apply even across seasons for certain perennial plants where they actually can um, remember and, and respond in certain ways and there was this article I read had lots of chemical pathways and different uh, compounds that the plants created in response and it was very complicated but I just thought that was very interesting about you know it's always interesting when, when we hear about that stimulus response of plants because they're so slow it's hard to see that and it kind of just looks like there's something that doesn't do anything right they're just standing there but they really do have a response and so there was some articles about like is there like some ways that you could like purposefully prime your crops early on with heat so that they'll do better in, in a hotter summer um, that's interesting yeah. uh, you know and I remember when we had first moved back to the states after after being in Switzerland, um, we had a really hot summer. Oh yeah. Um, and I remember just not being used to such hot summers um, yeah. anymore, uh, or actually ever. You know, because I, I've never really been before we moved to to the DC area. I had never really been in like a humid in a summer. humid humid yeah. super hot summer. So so that was a shock to the system. But um, I remember uh, people complaining about their tomatoes, just kind of like is essentially cooking on the vine mm -hmm. um, and like not doing very well and a bunch of other crop like garden gardening crops that that people had um, just not doing very well because it was so hot and so sudden so I guess that that whole disaster can be avoided by exposing the plants to heat early on in the in the season like what like late spring early summer yeah, something like that i think we might even have an example in our yard right now because we had this really really hot patch earlier on yeah things kind of got brown but now they're like exploding even though it's still hot we got yeah. more rain but like i think maybe the plants that didn't completely die back from the hot 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 summer maybe have been primed and they're gonna yeah. do better uh for the rest of the summer at least i hope yeah that's interesting. I didn't know that concept. So yeah, that's yeah, a plant that's and summer cool. concept and a great way to uh, wrap up this uh, little road trip episode, uh, a summer road trip summer episode of Rootbound. Yeah, that, that was really fun. My guest on this special summer episode of Rootbound was my wife, Carla Arias, and also some special announcements by our little kiddo. If you like Rootbound and you want to help the show keep going, you can visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support and learn all the ways you can support the show, including supporting the show on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by Summertime Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriuskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, take a road trip and enjoy all the plants along the way. Summertime, and the living is easy. All the people in the dance will agree that we are all well qualified to represent Rootbound, the official plant podcast of summer.